0: And I want to talk to you this morning on this topic of uh, warnings, warnings. Logan Plaster's father happens to be a doctor, and uh, some of us were hanging out with uh, with his dad a couple weeks ago, and uh, uh, it, the conversation of pregnancy came up because Jody is pregnant, uh, in case you didn't know that. And... Uh, um, the conversation came up because Jody and Montreux were going to be going on a vacation, and they were going to be taking a flight. And uh, so the question was, is it okay to fly at this late in the pregnancy? And he said, uh, his response was, it's something like this. I- I'm not going to get it word for word, but I'm going to give you the gist of it, and I'm t- telling you I'm honest, all right? It was something like, well, if you don't want to die, make sure you get up every 30 minutes and take a walk through the plane. We are like, okay. And he said, I'm telling you, if you don't do that, you might die. Uh, and then he said, it's called, uh, I think, it was pulmonary something or other. And uh, he, he said his blood clot forms in, in the leg, and, and it goes to the lung. And, and he said, I see it in the ER all the time, and it's so terrible to see a young, pregnant, beautiful woman come in on, to the ER, and she dies. And uh, so if you don't want to die, then get up and walk around. Every 30 minutes, get up and walk around or you might die. And so somebody was like, you know, it's kind of scary. And he was like, well, yeah, it is scary. He said, would you rather be scared and live or not scared and die? <laughs> like, and, and uh, we we're like, what? man, I like this guy. You know, he kind of tells you as it is. Like, he's just straight up with you. Uh, he's not like, you know how we try to be too nice with each other and we're like, you'll be all right. He's like, no, you might not be, you might die. And we were like, you just give it to us straight up. And and he was like, well, would you rather die, right? Here's my point. Here's why I tell you this story. Warnings come at us, and they're not always easy to hear, are they? Warnings interfere with our lives. Warnings are not always easy to swallow. But if you were to ask Dr. Plaster, he would say, look, I love you. I'm telling you the truth. (laughs) Warnings are love. In the Bible, there are a lot of warnings. Let's go ahead and look at them here in Jeremiah 36 and see what happens in this story. Throughout the Bible, we see warnings. And the question is this. When we read the Word of God, and we hear of warnings coming from God's Word, what is our response? Is our response to reject it and say, oh, I don't like the sound of that? Or is our response to listen, to receive, and to heed it? In the book of Jeremiah, we've been walking through this, and we've been seeing this theme over and over and over, and it's a theme of warning. Jeremiah the prophet has been warning the people that Babylon, oops, dropped my drink, Babylon is about to come. Now, we just saw in the last chapter that uh, the people were not obeying God, and this was uh, around the year 587 for those of you that care about dates, and uh, Jerusalem was being attacked, uh, and it was all kind of coming to an end. Now in the next chapter, in chapter 36, which we're looking at today, Jeremiah goes back a couple years to the year 605, and he wants us to see something else. He wants us to see how people, particularly the king in this situation, rejected, outright destroyed God's word because he didn't like the warning that it contained, It's an interesting passage. I'll give you a quick summary of it. Jeremiah writes down the scroll. The scroll is confiscated by the king, and the king says, I don't like what I'm hearing, and the king burns the scroll. Listen, we are, as a human race, not well. Like, personally, you might be going through a good season. Personally, you might be feeling well. But overall, like, how well are we doing as a human race? Like, it doesn't take religion to know that we are, as a human race, on an airplane heading downward and it's not looking good, right? It doesn't take religion to know that there are warning signs all over the place saying we've got to change some things or we're going to destroy ourselves, we're going to destroy the planet, we're going to destroy each other, we're going to destroy everything. Listen, when God speaks, he speaks because he loves us. Even the warnings that God gives come from love. If the great physician did not love us, he would just keep his mouth shut. But since God loves, he speaks. And some of what he speaks, as we've been seeing in Jeremiah, is a warning. And there are warnings all throughout the Bible. I think of examples of warnings in the New Testament. Warnings against greed, warnings against cheating, warnings against laziness, warnings against sexual immorality, flee sexual immorality, warnings against clinging onto youthful lusts. There are warnings all throughout the Bible, aren't there? Not to mention the warning that if we turn to anyone else other than Jesus Christ, we have no hope. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. There's a warning attached to that. Meaning if you cling to another name or if you search for another name, you will be shamed. Not to mention the warning of hell. The wrath of God that is to come for those who reject him. Let me talk to you through this passage under two simple headings. Number one, God's Word is intended for good. And what I mean by that, family, is including the warnings that we see. God's Word is all intended for good. And number two, rejecting God's Word means that we are rejecting what is good. Now the story here is fascinating. We actually see in this chapter a glimpse into the process in which the Bible was written. So God comes to Jeremiah and tells Jeremiah, I want you to write a scroll. The scroll contains most likely Jeremiah chapters 1 through 25, meaning for the most part everything that we've been looking at. This is what was written down. It's a message that Jeremiah had been uh, proclaiming verbally to the people, and now it's being written down onto a scroll. Who wrote it? A man named Baruch. Baruch was a professionally trained scribe from an elite family in Israel, and he must have been a lover of Yahweh because he's risking everything to follow Jeremiah and to listen to Jeremiah's word and to work with Jeremiah. And so, Jer- so Baruch becomes the scribe who writes this massive scroll. But it's not Baruch's words. They're Jeremiah's words, aren't they? Jeremiah dictates to Baruch. He says, I will tell you what to say, what to write. Write down these words, the message that God had given him. And that's the next point. Is it's not really just Jeremiah's words, is it? But in verse 2, we see that God actually directs Jeremiah to do this. Why is anything written at all? Listen, let me just say something really quick here. This was a verbal culture. It was an oral culture. What I mean by that is the idea of writing things down on paper to be preserved and passed on was not really part of their culture. They passed on things verbally. They used words publicly, and that alone could very well just spread the message in and of itself. They didn't need in this culture to write things down. Why did Jeremiah write anything down in the first place? The answer is first because God told him to. God directed him, write these words down. Well, why would God want this written down? It's only because God intends for this message to, be, to have a wider audience than just the people of that day in that hearing. God wanted this written down so that this message could be passed on from generation to generation to generation. And here we are, almost 3,000 years later, hearing and receiving the word that was written down on this scroll. But the point I want to make, though, is that as God's word is written down through the prophet Jeremiah by the scribe Baruch, it has the intent of mercy. I want to point out to you the whole purpose, the whole intent of Jeremiah's message. And partly why I do this is because we, let me speak for myself, I often speak in unhelpful ways. When I open my mouth, it's not always mercy. It's not always grace. It's not always because I love you, right? A lot of times we open our mouths out of anger, a lot of times we open our mouths with, with a sense of condemnation or tearing somebody down. I have made so many mistakes with my words this last week, right? I'm not talking about my whole life. <laughs> I don't have even, I don't have, my, my memory doesn't work like that. But I know this last week I've made mistakes with words. I've had to apologize to my wife because of the mistakes I've made with words. listen. When God opens his mouth to speak, he doesn't make a mistake. He never speaks out of condemnation. He never, never speaks out of anger or hatred. The only reason God speaks is because he loves us. If God didn't love us, he would keep his mouth shut and not say a word. The only reason we have the Bible at all is because God loves us. And so what we see here is the intent for this message. Because, you know, a lot of people, they say the Bible is condemnation. They say the Bible is offensive. The Bible is unhelpful. Well, is the Bible good news or is it bad news? And I think Tony's right. The Bible is always good news. When we use the Bible, when we speak the Word of God, our use of it isn't to point people toward judgment or condemnation. Our use of the Bible is always, 100% of the time, even if it contains a warning, our use of it is always to point people to mercy. Are you guys tracking with me? I need you to, I need you to wrap your mind around this because Christians don't always use the Bible this way. If, if, if it's ever, used, if it's ever uh, used in such a way that is destructive, truly destructive, it's because of us, not because of the word itself. The Bible is written to point people to mercy. And this is what we see. Look at verse 3. He says, uh, uh, I'm, I'm giving you this message. I want it written down at the end of verse 3. So that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. I want this message delivered so they can find forgiveness. Not so they can know how angry I am. Not so they can know how bad they are. It's so they can know my forgiveness. He repeats this again in verse 7. He says, so that it might be their plea for mercy, and that this plea will come before the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil way. God's Word is always intending good. Now, here's the second point. Rejecting God's Word is therefore rejecting what is good. The story continues. It takes Baruch about eight months to write this massive scroll. You can only imagine the work that went into it. Eight months of hard labor. Finally, it's finished. And they read the scroll, they read this message in the hearing of the people in public. Now, some one person that's there, his name is Micaiah. He he's an official, he works in the king's palace. Micaiah hears This scroll being read, and he runs to the secretary's chamber, and it's as if he just breaks into a meeting there, and the secretary and other officials are sitting around this meeting. Micaiah breaks in, and and he says what he heard. I just heard this scroll being read, and it's this warning, Babylon is coming, and we must turn so that we might know God's mercy. Well, it brings fear among those in the chamber. So they send out and they bring Baruch, the scribe. They bring him in and they say, read to us the entire scroll. They listen to the whole thing. And now they're in fear. And they are shaking in their boots as they think about the fact that Babylon is going to come. What they do is this. They say, Baruch, you find Jeremiah. You guys go into hiding. We need to take this to the king. They, They take the scroll. They go to the king's chamber. Now, in verse 22, I believe it is, sets the stage for us. It's wintertime. And the king is sitting there in his winter chamber in front of a blazing firepot, keeping warm. They come in with this scroll. And I'm sure the king is very familiar at this point with, Je- uh, with uh, Jeremiah. King Jeconiah has his assistant read the scroll for him. look what he does. Instead of his response being similar to the officials or to others who had fear and a sense of repentance, look at his response in verse 23. As Jehudai, that's his assistant, read three or four columns, the king would cut them out with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pod until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. As the scroll is opened up, you can only imagine how big this thing is. These scrolls were massive. They would require two hands. And it would unravel from the left to the right. And as the scroll is unraveling, three to four columns would be seen. And that's what you would read. And then once those are read, you would unravel another three or four columns columns well instead of hearing the word instead of receiving the word the king doesn't like the warning that he's hearing in the word and so he takes a sharp knife and for every three to four columns probably with a smile on his face laughing as he does it he cuts out the three to four columns crumples them up and uses them as fuel for his fire And he continues this process. We don't know how long, maybe an hour, two hours, until the entire scroll had been consumed by the fire. There are two things, pictures then, that close this chapter. One is Jeremiah takes another scroll and rewrites it. And two, in verse 30, the king is dead. Let me make a statement, and let me give you an explanation for my statement. Just because you reject the truth doesn't make the truth untrue. Are you tracking with me? Let me say it again. Just because you reject the truth doesn't make the truth untrue. I got a parking ticket some time ago. And I was not happy with my parking ticket. I I feel like I've used parking ticket analogies in this church far too many times. And that's because I've had far too many parking tickets. And I was not happy with this particular parking ticket. And I remember I took it and I crumpled it up. And I threw it on the floor of the passenger seat. And I drove off. Then I got home, looked at that. Parking ticket crumpled up on the floor, <laughs> leaned over, <laughs> <laughs> paid it. <laughs> Listen, I've heard of people ripping up tickets in front of police officers. You know what I'm saying? Like, As if, as if I reject this. This is not my truth, sir. <laughs> I will not pay this and I'm going to show you that I reject this, and I won't have to deal with it because I'm going to crumple it up and throw it on my floor. Well, just because you reject the truth doesn't make the truth untrue. Just because we say, well, I, that's not my truth. I disagree with that. Well, that's fine. But do you understand that if it is true, you will have to deal with it? Like if it is true the king is going to have to deal with the warnings that are coming at him and he can burn as many scrolls as he wants but family and i say this in humility not in mockery of the king he ends up dead babylon comes in and destroys him he had the opportunity for mercy he had the doorway opened up to him the word of god came to him Creator of this world was in this moment showing love and mercy to the king to give him this word, and the king rejected it. Now, these haunting realities should humble us. The scroll is rewritten. What continues is the Word of God. What endures is the Word of God. Listen, 3,000 years later, almost, we have been going through the the message that was on that scroll that was burned by the king. And for almost 3,000 years, the king has been dead. Dead. Now, there must have been a split second, a moment here where maybe even Jeremiah wondered, will the Word of God prevail? Will the Word of God endure? And listen, if the Word of God will not prevail, if it will not endure, then the door to mercy has been closed. Because remember, if God doesn't love us, He won't speak. But if God does love us, He will speak. And so therefore, all of His words are love. Will the Word endure? Well, the story goes on beyond Jeremiah. In John chapter 1, verse 1, the Word became what? Flesh. Who was Jesus Christ? The Word of God took on flesh, and came into this world. Now, Adam, let's go way back, Adam had rejected the authority of God. Adam had said, I do not want to live under God's rule, and I want to take that crown and put it on my own head. And every human ever since then has been rejecting the rule of God and living under their own authority. The issue that we have with humanity is an issue of kingship. Who is your king? Under whose authority do you live? Do you live under the authority of God or do you live under our own authority? Well, the king, listen, the king came into the world. The Word took on flesh and dwelt among us. And as the King came into the world, He showed us. He showed us the way and the truth and the life. He spoke good news. He spoke a message of mercy and grace for the poor and for the broken and the down and out and for all who would come to Him and listen and believe. He had arms wide open. But listen, people don't like King Jesus. People in our court, we reject the authority of God, and we saw the kings of the world, aka the human beings at the time, rejecting the word of God yet again. Listen, if the scroll of Jeremiah, if this word is an example, Of God's word as a whole being rejected? Well, how much more do we see that in Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ was the incarnate word who was rejected by those who heard him. He was torn to pieces, he was put on a cross, he was in this world destroyed. Is mercy forever lost? if the Word of God is destroyed, the answer is yes. Mercy is forever lost. But listen, if the rewriting of the scroll is an example of the fact that God's Word endures, well, how much more the Lord Jesus Christ? What we see in the story of Christ is that his enemies could not keep him down. What we see in the story of Jesus Christ is that he rose again from the dead three days later. The word of God endures, and he triumphed over all of his enemy. You can't stop the word. You know, in every great story, you get, you get like, let me give you an example. I saw this movie called Rampage. Anybody seen it with The Rock? All right. It's kind of a cheesy movie. Good. Um, It's about animals that get really big, and they take over the world. All right? And in Rampage, The Rock, uh, toward the end, like the climax of the story, he gets shot, and you think it's all over. Our hope is lost. And he's lying. uh, I'm giving it away. He's 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 lying on the ground. And uh, Kate, his assistant, gets captured, and she's about to get killed. All right? I'm not giving anything away because you know how these stories go. Was the rock dead? No, of course not. He's the hero. And in these kind of stories, the hero always wins, right? Out of nowhere, like, I don't know how, but the bullet, like, didn't hurt him. Like, he was laying out dead, and then all of a sudden he's, like, completely fine doing some CrossFit or something like that, Right? And he comes in and he saves the day, and uh, uh, Dwayne Johnson is the hero, right? That's how these move. Every good story, there's this moment where the hero is rejected. The hero, it's it's almost all over, and then somehow he comes back and he saves the day. Listen, what we have here is a good story. God's Word in Jeremiah is rejected. It's destroyed. It's their only hope for Israel. It's burned, but it's just rewritten. It's almost funny, actually. As soon as it's burned, Jeremiah's like, let's write another one. And the Word prevails. Jesus Christ dies, and it seems for a moment that it is all over. Friends, if the resurrection didn't happen, it is all over. Our faith hinges upon the resurrection. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't happen, the word would be destroyed and there would be no hope for mercy. But what happens is this Jesus Christ rises from the dead. Before we close, let me explore one more thing here. How is that good news for us? Because some of you might say, oh, that's cool. Dude rose from the dead. Good news for him, but I'm going to die. And I don't see anybody else rising from the dead. How is that good news? Well, remember what I said earlier. He was a king. The king represents his people. Now, here's something crazy going on. What we see here in the story is a king who rejects the word and as a result brings the curse of God on himself and he dies. The king of kings enters into the world. King Jeconiah doesn't even hold a flashlight to this guy. The king enters the world. He is the sovereign king over all kings. And he dies. Now why does he die? Because here in the passage in Jeremiah, what we see is that we die for our own sin. We would die because we reject the King here. rejects the Word of God and brings the curse upon Himself. So why would Jesus have to die? Well, it's this great irony where the King in Jeremiah, King Jeconiah, where He dies for His own sin, Jesus Christ dies for the sins of His people. He dies as a representative for others. He dies as a substitute for others. The hope that we have is in the death of this king. What's crazy is the death of the first king, Jeconiah, his death ended his opportunity at receiving mercy. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ opened up a road, for mercy for all of us it's the way of grace it is the road to salvation and that is through the death of the king of kings and lord of lords jesus christ as he took the curse of us on himself paid it all and rose from the dead so that we might have life listen i don't know where I would be without this Word, Jesus Christ. He is our hope. I wouldn't have any hope in this world or in the next if this Word had come to an end. But Jesus Christ's life did not come to an end. And He still endures. He still reigns at the right hand of the Father, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Yes, this is good news. All of the Bible is good news for us. And what we find in Christ is mercy. Listen, some of you might say, well, I don't deserve mercy. Some of you, maybe, maybe you're not the type who just simply rejects warnings. Maybe you hear the warnings and you say, yeah, I'm doomed. I don't have any hope for mercy because I don't deserve it. Others, they're not as bad as I am and they might deserve some mercy, but I don't deserve mercy. I heard a story of a young man who appeared before Napoleon, and Napoleon was going to condemn this man to death for a crime that he had committed. The man's mom showed up and begged Napoleon for mercy. Napoleon said, I'm not going to give this man mercy. He doesn't deserve mercy. And the mother said, yeah, that's right. But it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. And Napoleon pardoned the man and let him live. Listen, the very nature of mercy is that we don't deserve it. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. What God gives us is actually not what we deserve. But what God gives us is mercy. And how do we know that? We know that because the Word of God intends for us to know His mercy. Is anybody here listening to this? Is anybody hearing the Word of God this morning? If so, friends, turn to Jesus Christ and know His mercy. I don't care if you come out of a life of all kinds of craziness, and this is your first time in church, and I don't care if you think you've been a Christian since you were in the womb. The call for all of us is the same, and that is to hear the Word of God and to know the mercy that God is giving us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this message that we have from Jeremiah preserved for us today. God, we thank You for the fact that Your Word endures. Not just Word on paper, but the incarnate Word who came into the flesh, who spoke and represented The Father, God, we thank you that Jesus Christ endures forever. And since Christ endures, our hope endures. Father, I pray that we might hear your word so that we would know your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.